0: Hello and you're very welcome to the Politics Podcast from the Irish Times.
1: I'm Hugh Linehan. With less than two days to go until voting begins on the referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, I was joined today by our political editor, Pat Leahy, politics reporter, Sarah Barton, and also the Irish Times' radio critic, McKinney who's been following the campaign across the airwaves over the last few weeks. I kicked off by asking Sarah about the drama around last night's debate. Sarah, some very strange goings on yesterday around who was or wasn't going to appear on Orty's last main debate of this campaign.
2: What happened? Okay, well, I suppose Orty issued a statement on Monday night confirming the lineup, which was Minister for Health Simon Harris, Professor Mary Higgins advocating for a yes vote in the referendum, and Sinn Fein TD Prader Tobin and Cora Sherlock from the Love Both campaign advocating for a no vote. That lineup had been agreed the previous Thursday. Um, with all of the all of the guests and just a number of hours before primetime was due to air, Cora Sherlock contacted or to say she was unavailable and that in her replacement, the no side, that being Save the Eighth, Love Boat, etc. had all agreed that Maria Steen should replace Cora Sherlock uh, in the debate or she declined um for Ms. Dean to participate on the basis that she just a week previously had been one of the key figures in the Claire Byrne uh, debate. I had performed very well. And had performed exceptionally well. Um, um and they but they their position was that they couldn't have the same contributors as part of their key to uh, televised debates in such a, a short period of time. And they also believed that they shouldn't be dictated to uh, uh, by either side of the campaign as to who should participate in the debates. So there was a bit of a standoff then. Um, RT had their producers meeting, uh, Save the Eighth and Love Both and, and, and all that goes with them, had a meeting to decide what they were going to do. And it seemed up until about an hour before, an hour and a half before the debate was due to air, that it could potentially be two people on the yes side and one person on the no side because RTE weren't caving in to the demands of the no side. That would have
1: caused RT all kinds of problems in terms of the BAI requirements for for fairness and coverage of a referendum.
2: It would, but also it would have it would have created significant difficulties for them down the line in terms of their editorial independence. Um, because, as we know, RTE televised debates are key components of any general election campaign, of any referendum campaign. And if they were dictated to, by any side of the argument, or indeed any political party, as to how to conduct uh, their televised debates, it would have been... Um, extraordinarily difficult for RTE in the long run. So they stood their ground, um, but it seemed, it became quite apparent error, an error beforehand that they uh, would have had a situation where it would have been two people on the S yes side and one person on the no side. And and they made the decision then to ask Professor Mary Higgins to contribute um, from the audience. And they asked Trevor Hayes, who is a medical professional on the no side, to contribute as part of the debate. But uh, in the end, um, I suppose it wasn't the best image for RTE to have two male politicians debate an issue that primarily affects uh, women and uh, I think you know to be fair to RT, that's a situation that was a bit out of their control um, but really we don't know why why Cora Sherlock was suddenly unavailable I mean I think that's the question the question that we don't have an answer to. Um, I love both released a statement very late last night about half past one where they said that they believed that because there was a medic on the yes side that there should be a medic on the no side um, but Maria, Steen, but is Maria Steen is not a medic she's a, a barrister um, who hasn't been practising for about four years if, I, if I'm not mistaken um, so it, that, that argument didn't stand up to scrutiny so after last night's debacle then it became clear that Maria Steen was not going to participate in the tv tree debate uh, tonight Do she we have a reason for that? Uh, she was due to participate uh, alongside Theresa Lowe advocating no vote and then Regina, against Regina Doherty and Colin O'Gorman. Um, in the last 30, 35 minutes, she has now said she will participate in the debate. Um, we Again, we don't have a reason as to why she pulled out in the first place and um, we don't know why she's suddenly available for the debate uh, tonight, so... Seems a bit of a shambles, to be
1: honest. Mick, I mean, you cover broadcasting for us a lot. Um, uh, have, all of us at this table have appeared on various broadcast programmes over the years, so we kind of know the way it works in terms of dealing with production teams and that. Uh, on one level, like I, I would say that the, um, the Retain the Eighth side have rights, you know, to nominate whoever they think is the appropriate spokesperson to participate in a, in a debate. But on the other hand, you can see why RTE might have felt they were being gamed yesterday at the last minute.
3: Yeah, I I can see where RTE's problem is. It, partly, they get it from both sides anyway. So whichever stand you take, you're going to be seen, as you said, that you're taking sides. But I think the obstetrician argument was, it, it did seem a bit of sophistry, really, because, as you said, Maria Steen is, is not uh, me- medically trained. And they had an obstetrician, I think, in the, in the audience. Mm-hmm. So it, it did seem slightly... Oh, sorry, not Maria Steen, uh, Court of Sherlock, you know. Uh, So either, uh, and Maria Steen. So I think whoever went in, I think it was probably that they wanted Maria in, is my own impression, just from the outside, because she did so well. It's pretty
0: clear. She did really well in the debate the previous week. So they wanted to play their in-form player again last night. do they have a right to do that, Pat? I, I think that the ultimate... Uh, decision must be RTEs, but it must make it in accordance with, you know, standards of fairness and balance. But ultimately, that has to be, I think, uh, a decision for them. My understanding is that this debate had been kind of simmering between the two main anti-abortion groups, the Save the Eighth group and the Love Both group, um, over the weekend, and I think they had been in touch with RTE uh, about it. RTE's view, as uh, as Sarah said, was that you no, know, Maria Steen was on last week uh, and therefore can't be on it again. The point that uh, the anti abortion groups made was that Peter Boylan had participated in a debate on the Late Late Show uh, a couple of weeks previously and then participated again in last week's debate, and they were using that as a precedent, albeit that the Late Late Show wasn't a formal primetime Claire Byrne campaign debate. So I, I think that's the point they're making. Um, I mean, I, I, I suspect it's, you know, it's kind of water under the bridge now. It will feed into the no-sides narrative of being discriminated against by the media, of media bias, that we have heard a fair bit from their side and I think we'll hear a lot more of uh, if the um, uh, if the proposal is defeated. Is there a
1: touch of that, Sarah, that they're getting their excuses in early?
2: I, I mean, for me, I can't really understand their logic and, and, and I'll tell you why, because Marie Steen is a formidable debater. Um, but if Maria Steen participated in the debate tonight, she would have been the only... Uh, Sorry, not the only, Mary Butler also participated for The No Side. But she would have been on Byrne on Primetime and on TV3. Now, if The No Side wanted to portray the image that they had enough effective communicators, that their message was strong enough to, to sell to viewers, why only put out... The one person to argue for that. I mean, of Sherlock's been in this studio before uh, debating Kate O'Connell. She's a formidable debater. But last week on Twitter, when um, there was an exchange between myself and, and John McGurk, uh, he pointed uh, that he pointed me to the fact that Orsi had declined to allow Maria Steen to participate on on the basis which we spoke about, and. In response, um, Declan Ganley, uh, who is was the strong uh, opponent of the referendum, and who will
1: be speaking in the TV Three debate this evening will as be well,
2: speaking in the TV Three debate uh, against Michal and uh, Mary Lou, um, he he said to me that Orsi were afraid, and I'm paraphrasing now, but Orsi were afraid of having a strong, powerful female voice on the side of the No campaign. To which I replied, Cora Sherlock, I presume is is a uh, is a formidable." Uh, powerful woman who was effective in communicating, the response to which he replied, she's very good. So it seems to me that Pat's absolutely right, that there was a bit of friction between the Save the Eighth and the Love Both as to who they believed was the best person to represent their cause. And it seems to me that the Save the Eighth did not want Cora Sherlock to be the person mm-hmm. uh, communicating their message on mm-hmm. the TV it's also,
0: I think, in a campaign, this is the sort of thing that happens in the background all the time. But you rarely get to hear of it. I mean, in, I mean, Sarah. No, in general election campaigns, the chaos behind the scenes that parties go to great extents to uh, to keep from us uh, is is constant. Uh, but it's unusual, and I think it says something about the trajectory of the campaign that we are that all this is taking place in plain sight.
1: Um- I'm looking at two uh, reviews of last night's debate. One has the headline, Primetime Debate Has No Clear Winner. And the other one has the headline, Harris Wins Debate for Yes Side. Which two newspapers are these? Uh, Those (laughs) would be the Irish (laughs) Times and the Irish Times. Um, uh, Given your seniority and the fact that you're a political editor, I'll allow you to argue your case first, Pat. You believed uh, uh, that there was no clear winner
0: well uh I, I'm, I'm of course happy to <laughs> to defer to uh to say if you ask go first in this no I did yeah um and uh, i I mean that as between the two sides and uh, I'll tell you why uh, I mean I said it uh last night that I thought Simon Harris was the outstanding performer in uh, in the debate uh but it's it's not a debating competition as such in which you get points for style and substance and rebuttal and and the guy with the most points gets the trophy uh, at the uh, the end. I think at this stage of the campaign, what the two campaigns are trying to do is hit key messages to key target audience. uh, uh, Key target audiences. And I thought that both sides uh, did that. Last night, I thought Simon Harris was really effective. And if you think back to his uh, his closing statement, where he talked uh, about, you know, if you uh, if you think it's wrong, you know, that people with fatal fetal abnormalities have to travel, you have to vote yes. Uh, that victims of rape after have, uh, have either after travel or to uh, be forced to carry the uh, carry the pregnancy to full term, you have to vote yes. And he hit on those those hard cases that has been central to the yes sides narrative, and especially so in the closing uh, uh, in the closing period. and, uh, and I thought it very well. He also reflected the the other key message of the real lived experience of women, the number of abortions uh, of Irish abortions that take place even uh, even under the eighth. But I thought that the no side equally hit their, clear messages and in the closing period for them it has been that this uh, that the referendum is about more than simply the hard cases that it will legalize an awful lot of abortions that don't fall under the uh, purview of what we are calling uh, the hard cases and i thought that they managed to get that message across reasonably well uh, 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 as well as the as well as the yes side so when I was saying that there was no clear winner, I meant it as between the two sides. I think there's no question but that the yes side, and I said this last night as well, that the yes side will be happier because the no side, I think, needs something big to change and last night wasn't it. But just to be clear,
1: I mean, I remember last week you said that the, the no side got a fillip out of the, the Claire Byrne live yeah. debate. So I take that to mean that you thought there, therefore that the no side got more out of that than the yes side did out of what happened last night. You yes. know, and you could go into all discussions about the nature of it and the noisiness yeah. and all that kind of yeah, stuff. And, and, all, and all that
0: was part of the I And mean, one of yeah. the, the differences last night was that the audience was a, a, mm. a lot less unruly mm. than it had mm. been the previous week. And I think that that audience participation worked strongly to the advantage of the no side in the previous debate. And I thought it was possible, it's my own view, people can take a different view, that coming out of last week's debate, I thought it was clear that the no side... Um, uh, had a much better night out of it and I did give them a bit of a, a, a fill up. I didn't think that was the case for either side last night Sir?
2: Well I don't agree <laughs> uh, First of all what's, uh, Pat said that the, you know this wasn't a debating contest but well, what's the point of having in a debate if it's not a contest I mean you're effectively vi- uh, fighting for votes whether it is on a subject like this or in a general election campaign it's a contest it's a fight and it's an argument and for me the yes side won and I'll tell you why uh, in every piece of analysis that Pat and others uh, have written, they've said that the no side need a dramatic change in the campaign in order for them to win. Uh, and so their strategy going in to the uh, debate last night was probably multifold. But their, their main uh, aim was to make the yes side mess up or to catch them out or, you know, something in that vein to basically turn the tables and switch it. And that just didn't happen. And the yes side was far more effective in exposing um, the no side from what I see because the yes side strategy was to prove that the um, the argument that's been put forward in recent days, sure, look, if you put forward um, abortions in the case of rape, incest, fatal, fetal, abnormal, sure, we might have looked at that, we might have supported that. And Harris, uh, Simon Harris, exposed the no side because he rightly put it to Paddard Tobin that if that was the case... <coughs> Would you support it? And Patter Tobin couldn't give him a clear argument. David McCullough did it to, to Fidel may in the in the audience. And neither of them could say that they would support terminations in those exceptional circumstances.
1: And the same was true, I think, of the gynecologist who spoke in favour of the no side in the audience as yes, well. There preference. was a recurring theme throughout the debate last night, this particular so issue. The
2: strategy for the yes side was clear. Uh, we've heard so much about... Um, these the shifts in the no-side, which Pat, myself and Fieke are writing about today, that they have a strategy now to say, if you legislated for the exceptional cases, we may have come along with you. So the S-side's yes argument was, or the S-side's yes uh, strategy was to expose that if that were the case, the no-side wouldn't have come along with them because the majority of the no-side believe in their right and in their entitlement, that termination should not be allowed in any circumstances. And so the S side went in to expose that, and they succeeded. And I think actually, not just not just Simon Harris, but if you the audience participants, I I found. The yes side were far stronger um, from the audience than they were from the uh, from the no side. Mick,
1: I suppose one of the things about referendums in Ireland, especially when there's a proposal to alter the the constitution in some fashion, is that there's automatically a, a benefit to the, the side which is saying no. Ch- you know, if you don't know, vote no. Uh, that's quite a, quite can be quite a powerful argument and has been in previous referendums. And that's essentially the argument that was that that the no side seems to have been pivoting to over the last few days. Do you agree with Sarah that? That that's how that panned out in terms of the debate last night.
3: I have a feeling it is definitely how it panned out because they were definitely hitting on that twelve-week thing quite a bit. Which it's a bit late in the day. It strikes me for them to hit this as a strategy because it, it was brought up when the initial legislation post referendum was proposed. I do. I think. I think it was probably a victory for the yes side on balance would be my own thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, uh, possibly because, strangely enough, uh, Cora or Maria didn't turn up. And, uh, mm. Do you think that had a bit of effect, that, that the uh,
1: fact that you had this relatively long programme and you only had two speakers on I, the floor? I, I, think it, I think it did have an effect,
3: because I think, weirdly enough, it was one of the few times we sort were of bringing politicians on when it calmed things down a bit. You know, uh, you know Panertal Tobin is articulate and, and quite personable, mm. and... Though he hammered his things, he he m- was always quite in control. Simon Harris, who initially he isn't a very prepossessing figure because he's slightly stooped, he sounded like he'd really been sucking on the helium initially, but he uh, he he really was very effective in the end. You know, I thought he. He had a line to think about it being an English solution to an Irish problem, which was a kind of zinger in terms of on
1: the Sinn Féin TD.
3: Yeah, well, even more so with the optics. So, despite the fact that it was two men, which was unfortunate in this uh, case, I thought that took some of the air out of it, and I think it might, in as much as these things waver people. I've bef- again, this is only a gut instinct, but the, the week before though, the no side definitely as it were, it came out ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it, it was such a virago that I don't know that anyone... What did you was think of
1: w- all that criticism of it, the kind of zoo TV criticism
3: of the Clareburn live show? I thought it was a bit of a zoo, to be honest. And I don't know that it really brought anyone... I don't think anyone who's undecided would go, I've heard a great reasoned argument. I think you might be putting your head in your hands and going, is this what it's come to? Anyone who's really undecided. You know, I, I don't think there was enough... Enough pers- you know, no, no one had enough time to really lay it out. And I think, I think, in fairness, you know, the no side last night did lay out their, their reasons well, but I think they were rebuffed quite effectively. The goal at
0: this stage, I think, you know, given the state of the polls and the state of the debate, the goal of the no side at this stage is, is, is not so much to convince waverers with, you know, structured arguments. It's simply to implant doubt amongst those middle ground voters who are in favour of uh, of allowing for abortion in the hard cases so-called. And we know that that is a great majority of voters, but there's a subset of those voters who are wary about the 12 weeks. And the goal of the No campaign in these last few days is to implant the seed of doubt that actually there's another way of doing it. Maybe... If we vote no, they'll come back to it. And that's what they're saying. Sarah is absolutely right, uh, you know, that none of the no campaigners going on their previous statements would ever vote for uh, uh, for such a change. But And isn't that a problem then, with their
1: argument in this case, you know, that as opposed to, let's say... Michael McDougal arguing against the abolition of the Senate with a week to go and not having an influence. Uh, that that in this case they're on the record on this issue on things such as the protection of life during pregnancy bill
0: in in in, in re- relatively recent memory. And that's why I think that this pivot smacks more of a slight desperation in the no campaign rather than a strategy that is thought out months before in the cold light of day. I think if they had run with this strategy from three weeks out, it might have got more traction. They might have garnered a lot of kind of middle ground Fianna Fáil support. And Sarah's been writing about how some Fianna Fáil TDs uh, would, would, uh, would, would back such an alternative. But at this stage, a couple of days before polling, it's difficult to see... That those seeds of doubt really being implanted with enough voters to alter what we believe to be the trajectory of the campaign.
1: Sarah, Kevi has an interesting piece in today's newspaper, and he talks about some of these, you know, strategic decisions. and uh, I'm paraphrasing him here, but essentially he says that uh, the the No campaign. Hadn't decided exactly what it was going to do in the last week. What its strongest arguments are going to make. There was a possibility. It was the, the main argument was going to be don't trust the politicians, or the possibility was that it was going to be this is the, the, this goes too far, and we can do something that's more attuned to, as Pat says, to to the centre ground, uh, whatever that might be. But it doesn't. They don't seem to have kind of done their spade work on it. You know. I mean, VXP talks about them recently approaching Keith Redmond, who's a Councillor, an independent councillor, not exactly a significant national political figure, in order to turn around, turn around a video uh, to, that, that would go on on, on the internet. It, it all seems a bit ad hoc.
2: I think the difficulty for them is that minute the referendum bill went through the uh, Doll Channel signed, they were out of the traps. As soon as it was legally possible uh, for them to erect posters, they erected their posters. That was March, and we're now in May. Uh, and I I have been very critical of the Together for Yes side for their slowness in getting off the mark with regards to this referendum campaign. But ha- perhaps it actually benefited them in the long run because now a couple of days out from the referendum campaign, the arguments that have been used by the No side they're tired, they're weary, and they've been um, they've been contested by the Yes side on numerous occasions. So what happened in the last number of days is this attempt to. To to sort of pull it back and say, actually, we may we may have favoured abortion in those exceptional circumstances. But the difficulty for them on that was that on their first press conference uh, when the referendum campaign uh, began, which I attended, John McGurk said he would not favour abortions in the cases of rape or incest. Uh, at a press conference two weeks ago for the Save the Eight, that was repeated by uh, a spokesperson for them, whose name I I, I can't recall. So. They couldn't bring it back around. Uh, they couldn't bring it back around in time, and they didn't have an adequate strategy. And
1: fake suggests there is some division between the two groups on this as a strategy as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have been writing a little bit about it with regards to people who ad- are advocating a no vote than the Fianna Fall party, so people like Anne Rabbit, um, John McGinnis, um, and others who have said that they would that there are no voters, they'll vote no because they believe the 12-week um, proposal is too extreme. But they do believe that even if this referendum returns a no vote on Saturday, that the exceptional cases will still have to be looked at. And they do believe that that should have been the prime argument of uh, of the no side. And I spoke to one senior Fianna Fáil TD who, who chose not to be named, um, who said that 30% of the uh, the way they saw it, 30% of the population believed that termination should only be provided in those uh, exceptional circumstances. And they had now aligned themselves to a yes vote because the yes vote had been effective, the yes side had been effective in in, um, communicating the message that if you wanted abortions in these cases, you had to vote yes. There's no alternative, there's no other way. But had the no sides come up with any alternative, not even a, a, a logical one or even a practical one, if they had come up with any alternative... That that thirty percent could have aligned themselves to the no no side, but because they were rigid and regimental in their approach, um, those those soft voters have now aligned themselves with the. With the was effort. that
1: in the nature of the of the no campaign, Pat? Um, that I mean, you you've talked about this here previously. That they seem to be playing to their base um, more than they needed to in order to win this.
0: Yeah, I I think it has been a mistake for them not to reach for the middle ground. I mean, we've been talking about this, you know, in this studio for a long time, since long before the campaign started, about the fact that it would be the middle ground. Um, that would win it, and the you know the extent and parameters of that have been largely sketched out by a whole series of polls that we have that that we have done. I think the the no campaign has been effective in talking to its base, and I think it will get its base out. But I don't think it can win because its base is not sufficiently numerous unless it goes beyond that base. I think there is a belated realization uh, of that, um, but you know we'll see on Saturday how successful. Uh, It has been and, you know, there is an argument to be said that, you know, given that turnout in referendum campaigns is so crucial that your first and and, and infinitely most important job is to get your guys out. There's an argument for that, but actually I think in this campaign... I think that it will be the middle ground that will swing it. And I don't think that the no campaign have been sufficiently energetic or sufficiently open minded in their campaign to reach out to them effectively.
1: Mick, you have the onerous task of listening to talk radio all the time for the Irish Times and then trying to make some sense out of it, which in my experience, a talk radio is not that easy. Um, what have you been hearing as this plays out over the years, over the last Three or four weeks, I suppose, in particular.
3: Well, I mean, one of the problems is that uh, (laughs) what you're saying about, Sarah, saying about the posters, you know, it has been playing out over two months nearly. So by now, I think there's a fatigue almost. But those, you know, those hours aren't going to fill themselves. So the the, the initial, a lot of the initial debates took place, I think, early on. And now it's kind of going, I think in one way it's more interesting now, though the danger is that fatigue sets in. Mm. But... It's the Vox Pop stuff has been interesting in a way, it has been more unfiltered. There's been people like Henry McKean on News Talk and Kean McCormack doing his, you know, ambling around the country, yeah, yeah. and uh, and even um, Patty O'Gorman. And they've sort of had interesting, you know, it's just been interesting to get the unfiltered things. Um uh, McKean talked to uh, people in a Tipperary dairy market, which. Was it's predominantly no, but also a few yeses. And what I'm saying, no one will say anything. We're more worried about subsidies. So it's quite, one of the reasons I'm interested about this is because, you know, you can get caught up in the the, the media circus, as it were, sure. or the debate, or the campaign circus, and that these guys definitely, it was it was interesting in that way. But, uh, the, so the Vox Pops have been interesting. My, my thing that really has struck me, though, has been like things like Morning Ireland where they do the packages. And there's this is, again, earlier on. But uh, and Kenny did a couple of very good packages. She did a really excellent one about a woman, Laura, and that wasn't her real name, who'd gone to Manchester to get an abortion pill, had a really awful experience, had to go to the hospital here to say that she'd had a miscarriage because of the legal ramifications. Now, it was... It was a dreadful story, and she said they knew I was lying, but we just carried on. Uh, and then the next day, you know, because you need the balance, she had, a, she had a piece, again, I mean, a troubling one, a difficult one from a woman whose full name was Gibbon, I think, Emma Maloney, and she's a campaigner for the no side about how she had, you know, her child had been uh, handicapped, I guess, her, her unborn child, and she went through the pregnancy. Now, again, she it was difficult for her. She spoke about all the difficulties, much like on last night's debate, people talked about these things. But it's not, again, it's a slight, I, it strikes me as being a, almost a slightly false equivalence. You know, it's a woman who decided she was going to go through with her pregnancy. And the point is you can still go through with your pregnancy. So it's this idea of balance. It's like, no, that's not quite the same. You know, we have to have a story of someone who had a child going... They can still have this child, so I. I that's my problem with.
1: And there's the, been a lot of those, and I mean, the Irish Times has, has been publishing yeah. quite a lot of them as well, sir. What do you think of that as a critique? Because in in many, in some ways, those personal stories do illuminate, you know, areas of life which perhaps people weren't aware of previously. But maybe some broadcasters or indeed publishers are just using them to fill space because they don't know what else to do.
2: No, I think it, it's it, less so for us, but more so for T.E., they have a, a timer, ticking timer. You know, they are absolutely bound by balance, and regardless, I suppose, of the story that um, Mick talked about, they had to have somebody who was advocating a no no vote, and they have to have someone who's advocating a yes vote, regardless of what you know the story, regardless of the outcome. Um, I, I remember both of those, uh, both both of those, and they're both really troubling. And act desperate stories. But as Mick said, the S side would look on at that look on at both of those and say, Well, one woman had a choice and the other one felt she didn't. Do you know what I mean? So, um but for for broadcasters and particularly for, for RTE, you know, I, I don't envy them being in the position that they are because they have to have absolute balance to the second. Um, from the yes side and uh, and the no side I mean we have covered it uh, we've covered the campaign very fairly uh, in my opinion and very equally from yes and uh, from no sides but we don't have the same level of scrutiny placed upon us that we do that, that RT do not least because they are the national broadcaster and they are Funded by the general taxpayer,
1: and what then make about the other element of this, which is debates? You know, we've been discussing television debates, but there have been plenty of studio debates. I remember actually; I think it was about seven or eight weeks ago. Matt Cooper tweeted, asked his listeners whether they should just not do anything until the last week, and there was a, there was an a outbreak of you know, harumphing, thing, including from me, <laughs> um, saying that this is disgraceful. You know public servants to- all, so, so, all, all that kind of stuff, um, but you could kind of see what he was talking about. These sort of endless things of I didn't interrupt you going on for weeks, you know?
3: Yeah. It really and it does it also on radio, you know, uh, audio especially. People talking over each other. You don't have the television theater of people jabbing. You just hear a cacophony. So it's it's sort of pointless. There have been some. I mean, the one with uh, John McGurk, who uh, that Matt Cooper had, and uh, who I think was Mary Higgins, uh, I think. Yes, that's right. And it it was again. It wasn't illuminating. I mean, but it was interesting. The the attack dog thing—I don't think worked. I think actually in that case it was probably an own goal for the no side. And that was
1: really a debate between Matt Cooper and John McGurk, yes, wasn't yeah. it?
3: And, but but I think this is the point. I don't know that those debates really illuminate on air. You know, if they if they have an outcome, it's because someone took the shotgun and aimed it at their own foot. Uh, you know. yeah, d- 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 there is
0: kind of the conventional wisdom as well, especially in the television debates, that if people are shouting at one another, the viewers just switch off. But actually, the most raucous debate on television was the Claire Byrne one. And the RTU figures show that there was 100,000 more people watching it at the end. Than there were at the start. Now maybe something really interesting, uh, you know, just ended on the previous on the other, uh, on the other channel. But I was quite struck by that. That you know, it grew the audience throughout the thing. So you know, and I, I know Artie's got a lot of criticism for uh, for that program, uh, but I thought there was there's kind of a virtue in. Putting the two sides on the television and letting them at one another and letting people see them uh, uh, at one another. Now, I thought last night's debate was more informative, but I I thought the previous night's debate or the Clare Burnham was more
3: entertaining. Well, I mean, I think probably Clare Burnham's captured the spirit of the nation slightly better just at that moment in time that it's, it's pretty rancorous. Um, I just one other thing I was going to say in terms of the radio. Uh, speaking of the land where no Irish Times journalist may venture, uh, to, <laughs> to, uh, you, you speak of Marconi House. I, I, I take uh, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, news talk in particular, that the way I mean, I, how presenters have changed in these things. I mean that though they haven't called, they have a lot more leeway. You know, it's pretty obvious to see. You know, Kira Kelly. It's pretty obvious she's going to vote yes. Uh, Sean Moncrief, who, again, had an interesting piece where he talked to someone from the House of Keys in the Isle of Man who are about to liberalise their abortion referendum. He didn't have to get, as it were, a balance on that, you know. So, and I presume, you know, George Hook is pushing against the other way. You know, things like that definitely... They have a lot more leeway in that way, and it's it's been an interesting thing. How someone like Ray Darcy, who. When he was on Today FM, was very vocal about it. sure, but
1: has been constrained. Incredibly since he moved.
3: constrained since he moved to RTU. Yeah,
1: the other thing I do, I wonder, Sarah, is I was reading Kathy Sheridan's um, column this morning, and she makes a contrast with a project that she was working on about six or seven years ago. The difficulty of getting people to talk about their personal experiences of abortion, and not that it's easy now, as 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 Mick has pointed out, but that. This process seems to have led to a greater openness uh, to me. Even listening to Keen McCormick on Morning Ireland this morning, he's talking to two women of a certain age. They both seem to be grandmothers. They were friends on a, in, a, in, a, in a rural Irish town. One of them was voting yes, one of them was voting no. And they were perfectly happy to be identified and to speak about their disagreement and their personal views. And I don't know if that would have happened even six or seven years ago.
2: Yeah, I think it's actually... It's kind of fascinating because um, every time that this subject was brought up, people talked about the hostility and the division and the negativity between the yes side and uh, and the no side. And for me, it has been it has been divisive and at times it has been hostile, but in, in no way as extreme as, you know, 2002, uh, indeed 1983. I think, you know, for, I wasn't born, but I'm told it was quite hostile. <laughs> I was and it was pretty uh, um, <laughs> But I think we've now... Regardless of the outcome, we are now able to have in this country a healthy discussion about uh, the issue of abortion. And what struck me most, and and actually Ray Darcy, in, in fairness to him, has um, been very, very good on this. I don't know if you heard, Mick, some of the um, cases that he had on the week before last. Again, two women who received diagnosis of fatal fetal abnormalities, one who was advocating yes and one who was advocating no. Um both really harrowing cases that have that have really uh, stuck with me. But anywho, that the point is is that there's now a much more accepting atmosphere in Irish society for people, for women to talk about having terminations. Um, some people who've regretted it, some people who don't regret it at all, some people who could chose to continue with their pregnancies, some people who didn't. And I think, you know, even five, six years ago, as you said, I don't think those conversations would have been able to take place in the, in the atmosphere in which they are taking place right now. I,
0: I, I think, actually, by and large, the public campaign has been reasonably civilized. I mean it's had its moments, but you know, the media debates, the, you know, the political debates and that the general tenor of uh, of the public campaign I think has been you know kind of more civil than uh, than I expected. I wonder if that is partly because not just that kind of increasing openness and willingness to talk about Uh, these issues amongst uh, Irish people, but also is that I think a lot of the poison seems to have gone online, and the online campaign, you could Say a lot of things about it, but civil uh, it has not been, and I wonder if that's has contributed to a more uh, uh, you know a more open-minded and civil public campaign, uh, offline campaign, because all the poison migrates online. Yeah,
1: fascinating idea. The internet was invented to leach all the poison out of society, <coughs> leaving it pure and civilized. I well, knew
0: we would find a use for it.
3: <laughs> uh, but of course, then is that the real campaign? Is it, what what we come down to is is that where it's going to online is life themes. Yeah, life where is, online, where is online, that online what's going to deliver the vote that we can't get with a metric? You know, so I, I mean that's that's the that's the other discussion for another decade. Guess,
1: you know? Well, and indeed we'll be discussing all this over the course of the weekend as the results come in, and we'll be here with you on irishtimes.com which is of course online, but not as uncivil as uh, as, as, as 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 Pat is indicating there. Thanks very much, Mick and Pat and Sarah for coming in today. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. And your views are always very welcome. You can mail me at hlinhan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.